0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. I am so excited to tell you guys this story, and I am Sinead DeFries. That was such a weird way to introduce (laughs) that. Let me start over. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story I'm Sinead DeVries, and I am once again welcomed, welcomed, joined. What
0: are you talking about?
1: Oh my god. Uh, Coming in hot. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. I'm your host, Sinead, and I am once again joined by my boyfriend, Mr. Nils Davey. Hello. Why do you always wave? I like the
0: wave. It's friendly.
1: Who are you waving to, darling? You. Alright, I'll take it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, the story I have for you tonight, babe, is insane and it's a lot of information. So, I know it's really late, but wake up, bud, (laughs) because we're getting into it. Are you ready? Yeah. Let me tell you a story about a teenage love story. (laughs) Well written. (laughs) (laughs) that ended in murder and of the culprit who charmed their way into the hearts of so many, making headlines across the country and eventually around the world. In 1956, Sharon Hall was just 16 years old, growing up in Independence, Missouri. Despite her youth, Sharon was growing up real fast. Her father doesn't appear to have been around much or even at all. There are really no reports about him. And her single mother was an alcoholic, so obviously... Not the greatest upbringing. But life was about to change for Sharon because 1956 was also the year she fell in love. And oh, did she fall hard. But maybe not as hard as James Kinney fell for her. James was 22. So yeah, I know, that's very questionable. But 1956 was backwards and like all the way, so I guess like I'm not that surprised. James and Sharon met over the summer in independence at a Mormon church event of some sort but James didn't actually live in independence at the time. He was currently enrolled at Brigham Young University in Utah. So like, soups, Mormon? Dude. Yeah, in Provo, Utah, your favorite place. Do
0: you think Provo is where provolone cheese comes from? No. Where do you think it comes from then?
1: Provolone, Italy? Provolone. I'm sure it's Italian.
0: I'm look like it up.
1: Mascarpone? You up is my. Mascarpone. Yes, I
0: know that?
1: Yeah, like Giada Di Lorentis. Oh my god. The way she says, have you ever heard her say Mascarpone? I'm like, just no. say Mascarpone, lady. She's like, today we're going to be making a dessert with Mascarpone. I'm like, okay. I don't know who she is. Try Giada? You don't know who Giada is? No. Oh my god. She I know is Giada. Yeah. The... <laughs> Giardia? Giardia is... not that
0: when you drink, like, rainwater and then you get worms or something? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Giada?
0: Giada? <laughs> you
1: messed me up. <laughs> Whatever. It doesn't like, matter. I like
0: it when people, like, do the Italian words.
1: Yeah, I mean... Unless it's, just, it's
0: like, pizza. I hate that. When well, you're like,
1: she just says every other word as if she's from, like, Kansas. And then... When she says Italian words, it's so Italian. I'm like, yes, Giada, we get it.
0: But that's why like you're about, Italian. That's why I like that sopranos. They'll just drop in like a gabagoo, and you're yeah. like, oh yes. Yeah, but is their great.
1: voices are still in that same like <laughs> tenure or tone. Giada straight up is like, hey everybody, welcome. Today we're going to be making pizza with mozzarella. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> it's so no, I'm down. I'm down. Yeah, but I still do love her, and she's a great cook, honestly. Uh, Anyways.
0: All right. ARG? (laughs) ARG.
1: What are you going to say?
0: I'm going to look up where provolone cheese comes from for my cheese podcast.
1: Your cheese podcast? Yeah, my cheese
0: podcast. Where does this cheese come from? (laughs) Question mark.
1: Fascinating. (laughs) With Sinead DeVries. While James is home for the summer in Independence, that's when him and Sharon meet, right? But of course, he has to go back to school. So their summer fling is just that, a summer fling. But that fling quickly became a full-on romance, and the two were getting it on real quick. Like, a lot. You know what they say, though, right? Church camp is full of all of the horniest people. Really devout Mormons are very strict.
0: Yeah, but don't they get that year off? Now that's Quakers, right? Is that Quakers? (laughs) (laughs) What are the other guys? Amish. (laughs) Who are the guys on the cereal box? That's (laughs)
1: That's quick. <laughs> There's a quick. Yeah, what do they you're do? thinking of Rums Rumspringa, which is the year that Amish people get off to explore their wild side. Sounds
0: like a very German word.
1: But when summer came to an end, James had to return to Provo, and naturally this was basically like devastating. So the two are madly in love, I mean, as madly in love as you can be when you're 16 and 22, so they swore to write.
0: Yeah, they're writing letters. Mm -hmm. Something about
1: writing letters will forever be so romantic to me, you know?
0: When was the last time you wrote a letter?
1: The last time I wrote a letter? Oof, probably like over a year ago, like about a year and a half ago.
0: You wrote a letter a year ago? Probably, yeah. I haven't written a letter since like 1998.
1: Wow, that's crazy. I think writing letters is really awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I've written postcards.
1: Yeah, well, postcards count. No, they don't. Yeah, but postcards are even more old-timey, I think. I don't even know if like postcards were a thing before letters were a thing. I don't think they were. But in today's standards, I think postcards, nobody sends postcards. People still send letters. There's something about getting a handwritten note or letter in the mail First of all, the excitement. Everybody loves getting mail.
0: I No, I agree. I agree. I agree.
1: It's like a treat. And when you get a letter or a package from somebody with, like, a little note in there, I find it so romantic, and I find it so not romantic even in, like, a love sense. I just find it romantic in just the general sense. I think it's so sweet, and I wish people wrote more letters. I really do.
0: Yeah. Maybe we should not accept emails to the show. We should only accept handwritten letters.
1: So let's picture Sharon and James, all right? I can picture the single tear running down each of their cheeks every time they, like, put the stamp on. As they're waiting for the next letter or the reply, they're, like, waiting by the window. And then they see the mailman walking up. And it's, like, one of those old-timey mailmen, you know? And he's still wearing, like, a newsboy hat. And then they run outside to, like, intercept. They don't even let him put the mail in the mailbox. You know, they're like, oh. And she's like, oh, Sharon, I think you got a letter today. Fucking Sharon. Yeah. And she's like, I did. Thanks, Postman Pete.
0: I'm picturing James wearing a white shirt, black tie, all day. That's well, how he wakes up.
1: He's in Mormon camp. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So I could totally I just get don't up know like where
0: they gen- when where, what era they generated that uniform. And then for some reason I'm picturing her as like a maiden in like the oldie times.
1: <laughs> no not in.
0: in like a bodice.
1: <laughs> no, it's the fifties. <laughs> You know? I'm
0: looking forward to the crime in this because like, this seems extremely unlikely at this point. Oh,
1: well, just you wait. <laughs> so the back and forth letter writing continued for the pair. They really had maintained a solid relationship as Autumn neared. And then Sharon sat down to write a very important letter. She My dearest James, I do believe we got an ankle biter on the way. Daddy-o, it's true. Is I this... got a butt in the oven. I'm sorry,
0: is this a quote?
1: No, I mean, I made it up, but, like, it, it couldn't <laughs> have been what, that far what off. What the fuck?
0: Daddy, was, like, a jazz tone. <laughs> <laughs> Ankle bite. Were you out of your mind?
1: Oh, God, it's so good, though, to imagine opening up a letter and reading it and just, like, you just read it for what it is. And there was a lot of movies and things and music that was coming out that basically determined what was said. And I feel like it, it has become like that in the past, like, 10 years, you know? Like, how YOLO took over the world. In the early 2000s, movies and music didn't really influence our speech as much as it does now, you know? What's up? Oh, everything's Gucci. No one would ever say that. And in the 50s, they say, that was the thing. Every hit song had a line, and that line became common speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do think we live in, like, a meme culture, right? Absolutely. Whoever so whoever's... Leading the culture can coin a phrase. A
1: hundred percent. What was
0: the movie that someone came up with like fetch and then it never mean took girls. off? Right. And it never took off.
1: The actual quote that fetch is in is stop trying to make fetch happen. It's never oh, going right. so, to happen. Sorry. That's so a So people plot line. say, plot line. yeah,
0: that's just actually like a sentence that makes sense.
1: Well, I also feel like you got that from other people saying it so much. Oh. That's never. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It's not what she said. Exactly. Word for word. <laughs> There are no reports of her letter, but you know what?
0: So you did your research and said she wrote him a letter to tell him she was pregnant. Yeah, and I imagine and you came it. up with this. I
1: imagine it sounding something like that. It's very crazy. Okay, so if we we're in 2021, she'd be like, "Oh, James, what? <laughs> I'm pregnant." Like we're just very straightforward.
0: Well, she wouldn't write. She would just text him. She would just text him or like
1: Facetime him, <laughs> get in his DMs, <laughs> pregnant. Call me. So James, being super Mormon, literally dropped. Everything
0: Stopped working in the cheese they, they factory. They don't make
1: cheese in Provo. It's not the same thing.
0: Dropped all his cheese tools. He's
1: like, huh. so, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I can't
0: slice this anymore. He's
1: like so close to finishing the wheel. <laughs> so he moves back to Independence. And if he was in 2021, he'd be like, "Quick, bitch, let's get married. Which is exactly what they do. They have to get married right away. And I mean like right away. And then the newlyweds got a home together. Right next to James's parents' house. I love my parents. Obviously, they help us out so much, and they are the best parents in the world. But, like, living right next to your parents, that's a
0: lot. I moved 5,000 miles away from my parents (laughs) on purpose. (laughs) That's dark. My mom doesn't listen to this.
1: (laughs) So, the parents-to-be were happy. But there was just one problem. They weren't actually parents-to-be. Sharon had made the whole thing
0: Oh, uh, you-
1: listen. Why are women always pretending to be pregnant in these stories? What is up with women? I feel like
0: this is a trap. Like you ask me a question and no matter what I say, it's going to sound fucked up.
1: <laughs> these crazy ass women fake a baby and that usually means some other shit's going to happen down the road.
0: Okay. Well, two thoughts. One, i got to respect a woman that fakes a pregnancy a little bit because like, right. she's, cra- she's so crazy that like that's she's fun to be around at least, <laughs> right? Like you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. And then two, as we discovered last week, it's a common occurrence. I went on a stakeout with Jeremy to see if his ex was mm, pregnant or mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. and if she was lying about it or yeah. whatever the murky details mm-hmm. that was. I think that's relatively common, weirdly.
1: Yeah, and I also think that we've heard crazier stories. Women that, like, save the condom to impregnate themselves.
0: Yeah, I also think she was 16 and had been boning for the first time. Yeah, and
1: she just wanted, she wanted attention. She's like, this sucks. Come home. (laughs) I'm pregnant, now you have to.
0: Damn, so then she lied about it? She like She she was like, oh, I had a miscarriage or what?
1: Well, she lied. He comes back. They get married. Yeah. So she's like, ah, eh, whatever, it's, it's totally fine, right? I'm just going to get pregnant now, and then I'll make up for it.
0: Pretty good plan. Yeah,
1: what's a month or two, he's never going to know the difference. Yeah, he can't do math. No. He
0: works in a cheese factory.
1: But getting pregnant wasn't as easy as Sharon thought. So after trying and failing a few times, she was like, F it. Babe, had a miscarriage. Is that and a quote? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not a quote. But the two were blessed with a baby in the fall of 1957, though, so a year later. A girl they named Dana. So it was bliss once again. It could be Dana, but it's D A N N A. Kind of seems like Dana. On March 19th, 1960, a now 20 year old Shannon Kinney called the police, absolutely distraught. Her husband had been shot in the back of the head. <laughs> James, who was now twenty-five, had no hope and he died en route to the hospital. A devastated Sharon told authorities exactly what happened to her husband. She'd been in the bathroom putting on her makeup, and James was in the bedroom cleaning his twenty-two caliber pistol, of course, as you do it in your bed. But then he fell asleep in the middle of cleaning his pistol, leaving the gun right there for their two and a half year old daughter Dana to get her little baby hands on, which is, according to Sharon, exactly what happened. Her baby killed her husband.
0: I'm taking it from your tone, that this is not realistic.
1: What, no, I'm painting the picture, it's a very serious situation. Kids got a remarkably good shot, apparently, and it was initially side-eyed by the chief of police at the time, James R. Browning, But with literally no evidence except for a dead James and Sharon's story, the death was determined to be accidental. James Hayes wrote in his book, quote, When Sharon told you something, you were just expected to believe it. She was that good. James Hayes wrote a book on this story, and uh, it's pretty damn good. And I'll put it down in the the show notes for you guys if you want to get into it.
0: She was like an expert liar? Is that the...
1: Well, he's just trying to say, like, whether or not she was lying in the situation, people just didn't question her a lot because she was so charming. And also, by the way, that's Sharon so was hot. So that's like, what I mean. Hot. Actually? Yes, like actually. Like you saw a picture? Yes, I saw a picture. She's hot. For the time period especially, she's like that quintessential 50s woman. But I did read that maybe the police weren't actually really at fault for accepting Sharon's story because apparently multiple friends and family members of the couple told police that Dana played with... The her daddy's gun quite often
0: what the fuck is wrong with these people
1: and according to one report police even tested Sharon's story and were amazed when two year old Dana easily pulled the trigger on a gun that closely matched the one that had killed James Kinney so they did a test and they brought in a gun (laughs) that was similar and they're like here let's have this two year old shoot this gun just for this test and the two year old picked up the gun and pulled the trigger with enough force to fire the gun and they were like well okay
0: were well, there bullets in it?
1: God, I hope not. <laughs> Damn. I mean, yeah, I
0: think that's pretty solid police work. History. Yeah, it's
1: insane. Like, I actually have no words. Uh, yeah, I do think it's solid police work to be like, well, you know what? Let's just make sure yeah, this two-year-old... Yeah, let's
0: see if this is real, Give the
1: two-year-old a gun so we can <laughs> be sure.
0: With bullets.
1: Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> so Sharon and Dana moved on with their lives. And I'm sure Sharon was just absolutely grief-stricken. The nearly $30,000 or $200,000 in today's money that she got in a life insurance policy payout probably didn't even help heal the pain either. Nor did the brand new Ford Thunderbird she bought with the money.
0: What year? 60? must have been a 60. Oof, I looked it up. It's so no, good. No, good.
1: So think about it. This is, you can, that kind of paints the picture of what type of woman this was. She's hot. She's cool. Everyone loves her. And she buys a dusty blue or powder blue Ford Thunderbird with her husband's life insurance money after her two-year-old shoots him in the head. Yeah, she's she, fucking living it up, dude. Yeah. Like, I just, it just shows how young she is and how her life was just beginning, you know?
0: She's going to become a, a black widow, like. She's just going to keep marrying people and murdering
1: them? Oh, we'll see.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So, the money didn't help, the Thunderbird didn't help, and her new love interest didn't help. The salesman who sold her the Ford Thunderbird.
0: That's her new piece?
1: Yes. The married salesman, I might add. Oh, yeah. His name was Walter Jones. So, with her newfound riches and her new hot rod and her new side piece... Sharon's like, hmm, what else do I want? <laughs> and she's like, you know what I really want? Commitment. I need commitment. So she goes to Walter and she's like, leave your wife, leave your kids, and just like be with me. What are you doing? I'm ready for you. They suck. I'm awesome. Just come on.
0: P.S. Do you have a life insurance policy? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's like, nah, no, I don't want to do that. And so she pulls a very familiar stunt and she tells him, She's pregnant. Oh, man. And he's like, nah, <laughs> you're lying, bitch.
0: Walter's tight. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so she does the next most logical thing. She shoots him. She calls Walter's wife.
0: Oh, fucking shit. Patricia she's, Jones. She's 100% a scary, crazy person. Dude,
1: she's crazy. She's 20. There's nothing scarier than a 20-year-old psycho.
0: Yeah, but once you have sex with a with crazy person, mm. your life's over. Mm-hmm.
1: So she calls Walter's wife, Patricia, but she doesn't say like, hey, by the way, I'm having an affair with your husband. She says, hey, I'm the sister of the woman that's having an affair with your husband.
0: Yeah, nice. And
1: Patricia's like, what? And she's like, yeah, I'm her sister. I'm I'm the sister of that slut. And we got to talk about this straight up. And because she played this off as being like the messenger, Patricia's like, oh my God, okay. Like, let's talk about this whole affair. So, Sharon arranges a meeting with Patricia. And oh. after meeting up with Sharon, Patricia Jones vanishes. Oh, God. And Walter's like, all right, Sharon, you bitch. <laughs> what did you do with my wife? In one report, I read that Walter apparently held a knife to Sharon's throat, demanding answers. But Sharon held firm and told Walter to quit cruising for a bruising because he had <laughs> no clue. <laughs>
0: Can you stop inserting your (laughs) shitty fucking slang into this?
1: (laughs) But it's so good. You
0: so tried to play that off well, but it's not working.
1: What? (laughs) I'm putting myself in the time period. She's like, Walter, you quit cruising for a bruising baby. I don't know what on earth you're talking about. And Walter's like, yeah, 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 you're lying, Sharon, and I'm gonna figure it out.
0: I like that Walter just like put a knife to her throat. Walter's
1: sick, dude. He is a car salesman. What do you expect? (laughs) (laughs) So Sharon's like, okay, I'm gonna show him I'm not involved in this. So she volunteers to help in the search for Patricia, which began immediately. Sharon enlisted the help of her boyfriend, John Bodas, to help her search. Sorry, what? <laughs> so, yeah. Widow Sharon, right? She was married. Obviously, her husband's dead. And she had her side piece, Walter, the salesman who sold her the Thunderbird. And she has her boyfriend, John Bodas.
0: So, he's her boyfriend. So, wouldn't he be like, why are you so obsessed with helping find a used car salesman, a new car salesman? Mm-hmm disappeared wife.
1: I don't know. I don't I have questions for all the men in this story, all right? But John agrees, and so him and <laughs> Sharon drive around to look for Patricia. And after putting in work in their search, Sharon was like, "Well, that was good effort. We should probably reward ourselves with a trip down to the local Lovers Lane and play a little backseat bingo." <laughs>
0: Stop doing it.
1: <laughs> Just in case you're wondering. <laughs> backseat bingo means making out in the backseat of the car
0: okay explain it why why is it backseat bingo i don't know
1: that's just what they call it
0: alliterative that's
1: what google said are you playing a game i don't know when
0: does someone say bingo what are you matching
1: tongues i don't know they're making out tongues oh man yeah I, i answered that real quick yeah
0: you did yeah
1: Bingo! We're making out! <laughs> I don't think
0: anybody has ever said backseat bingo.
1: Well, whatever. That's what they did at the local Lover's Did you Lane. actually
0: research that? Like, that's a real thing people were say? Yes!
1: Saying? Lover's Lane, just in case anybody's wondering. Basically, like, the...
0: A great place to go to get murdered.
1: Yes, according to... Who was it? The Zodiac Killer? Was Zodiac, it the
0: Zodiac Killer? Zodiac. Most of the them. The
1: Zodiac Killer really made you Lover's love Lane killings famous. Yeah. He would literally just sit there and watch the couples as they were making out and then you would approach them while they were getting it on. So a Lover's Lane was the spot that was deemed by society at the time to be the spot to hook up, right? Yeah,
0: you're you're a young person. You don't mm-hmm. have your own house. Right. Call up Sharon, let's get in the car. We you drive to Lover's Lane, which is one in every town. And right. that's where you hang out.
1: It's just a general term for that that Place that has been culturally deemed as yeah. the place.
0: You know those one in Echo Park.
1: Oh yeah, it's that creepy ass like it's side up, hill up Dodger Stadium, yes.
0: and like there's always parked cars up there. Yeah, and I'm that's like, ah, oh, it's tight.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <anyways>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when they got to the Lovers Lane, Sharon miraculously noticed something in the grass.
0: Oh man!
1: And so she told John to go look. Go look at that thing. And John was sure it was just a pile of clothes. You know, there's often piles of clothing in in the grass. James Hayes' book, he writes, quote, she makes this young man get out and look and it scares the living bejesus out of him because there is the salesman's wife laying shot and dead in the grass, end quote. What are the chances? Sharon then told John that he needs to go to the police, like immediately, you need to go to the police. You found her. You found her. Mm. But he better not say that he was with her when he found Patricia.
0: She better be super hot after all this bullshit.
1: Yeah. So John goes to police and he tells them Sharon was definitely with him when he found Patricia's body. Good stuff. And when police heard the name Sharon Kinney, they were like, well, razz my berries.
0: (laughs) Duff. You should be ashamed. (laughs) You should.
1: It's so good. It's not. Not the Sharon Kinney whose husband was killed just two months ago.
0: I'm sorry. You spent too much time on your slang, not enough time on two months ago? Yeah, no,
1: it's May. And, <laughs> and James <laughs> Kinney died in March. <laughs> so it's two months. I thought
0: this was like two years ago. Oh, hell no. How quickly did they used to pay out life insurance policies in the 60s?
1: really quick and I, I feel know like
0: now that would take like two years yeah
1: especially when it's a, a like a questionable death but mm-hmm. obviously the police ran that test. And they were like, Well, it's accidental, which then
0: <laughs> yeah, the side the scientific right, yeah. baby test.
1: The two year old was like, boom, and they were like, Yeah, yeah, I guess that was true. <laughs> this
0: kid's a killer.
1: Yeah, and they're like, Holy shit, let's keep an eye on her. <laughs> we should probably flag her in the system. Um, and so the insurance company obviously sees it's ruled accidental. It's ruled accidental by authorities. So what are they who are they to question that, you know?
0: I just feel like nowadays they would still question it.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, so police are like, you know what? None of this makes any sense, and this is a hot ass mess. Mm. So let's just polygraph yeah. all of these people.
0: Also, polygraphs are bullshit.
1: Yeah, but you know, back in the fifties, polygraphs—they loved, loved it. Like, this. this is fact.
0: <laughs> yeah, we they, do this. They did love it.
1: They start with her husband, naturally, Walter, and he easily passed a lie detector test. So they were like, "All right, next, John, you're up." But John passed too, so they're like, "All right, Sharon, you bitch. All that's left in this mess." Is you. And she's like, yeah, okay, I hear you, but no polygraph for me. I'm not taking a polygraph. <laughs> Which is crazy because nowadays, when people are like, refuse a polygraph, you're like, well, they did refuse a polygraph, but also a lot of people refuse a polygraph because they're inadmissible in court. And you know, it's totally fine. Back in the day, though, if you would deny a polygraph, you're guilty. you're guilty.
0: Yeah. I think now everybody should say no to a polygraph so that they can get rid of polygraphs, right? Like that's Yeah,
1: because we have way too many wrongfully convicted people yeah. in jail. And it's, like, disgusting because a lot of people fail polygraphs because they've been interrogated for, like, 14 hours. Yeah, or up. Right. So Sharon just immediately is like, nah, sorry, I'm not taking a polygraph. So instead, they arrest her. She was taken to jail the same night that the family and friends gathered at the funeral of Patricia Jones. Sharon Kinney was officially charged with the murders of both Patricia Jones and her husband, James Kinney. Oh,
0: they reopened the case. Mm -hmm. Nice.
1: And the news spread so fast. I mean, so fast. Okay, it's the early 1960s, obviously 1960, and Sharon was hot as hell. And white, which I'm sure really helped get her on the radar of literally everybody. I read that she became like nothing short of a household name. Sharon Kinney was a celebrity. Hmm. Interesting. Accused murderer, right? That's interesting. Mm -hmm. But Sharon would be able to inevitably delay her trials because she was pregnant. Like for real this time. And I, honestly, I'm not sure who the F the father was. I think it actually was James, her husband, that died. I think it was his kid, based on what I read. But there are conflicting reports. But the this it seems like the general consensus was that she had two children in her life, and both of them were from James. I think she might have actually had a third kid. So she gave birth to her second daughter, Marla Christine, on January 16th, 1961. And I'm sure the state was like, "All right already, let's get this show on the road." So in June of 1961, Sharon Kinney went on trial for the murder of Patricia Jones. The state had decided to try her in separate trials for each murder that she was accused of. Not good
0: for
1: her.: Sharon struck gold in her first trial because she landed an all-male jury, which, let's be real, was working in her favor because she's Sharon Kinney. But even more so, Sharon's defense had made a great argument that there was really no evidence against Sharon at all. The murder weapon had never been found, and bullet casings that were found around Patricia's body were obviously from a twenty-two caliber pistol, which, as we know, the Kinneys own because that's what James died from, a twenty-two caliber pistol. But a twenty-two caliber pistol was so common that it was enough to raise reasonable doubt just just like that, right? And it, it didn't mean anything. It didn't mean that it had to be Sharon's pistol. And, of course, Sharon's p- pistol could not even be located. They had no <clears throat> idea where it was. About missing, huh? Yeah, I read that she was like, I took it to Washington and I left it there. <laughs> Which is like, all right. Sharon did not testify at her trial. And, overall, the prosecution had called 27 witnesses. The defense had called 14. Okay. And the state rested their case after that. The jury took less than two hours to deliberate before returning with a not guilty verdict. Sharon had officially been acquitted in the murder of Patricia Jones. And immediately following the verdict, she was photographed signing autographs for the jury. (laughs) I
0: mean, she was famous, though, right?
1: Yeah, but like, what the F? Those male jurors came up to her and asked her for an autograph after they acquitted her. I think that in and of itself should be like, clearly this jury is biased. Sure,
0: but yes, yes. But also, like you said, she became like a national sensation because she was hot and whatever.
1: Well, if I was the prosecution and I saw the jurors I had helped select go up to the (laughs) now acquitted murderer, I was going to say she's not even accused anymore, the now acquitted murderer, and ask for an autograph, I'd be like, um, hello, are we seeing this? Clearly this case is F
0: but it's too late.
1: It is late. Like double jeopardy. You can never be retried for that so case. So
0: if they if she got acquitted on that, did they drop the murder case against her husband? Oh
1: hell No, the prosecution went in so
0: hard. They got some balls in. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. The superstar, Sharon Kinney, was definitely not off the hook. So despite having been acquitted in the murder of Patricia Jones, she was taken right back to jail to await the trial for the murder of her husband, James Kinney. That trial began the following year in January of 1962. This time around, the prosecution had a star witness. None other than Sharon's former boyfriend, John Boldus, <laughs> Oh, no. This guy, dude. He testified that the two had been dating while Sharon was still married to oh, James. I mean, if you think about it, if they were married in the two months following, obviously, or if they were dating in the two months following James's death, by the time Patricia Jones is murdered, obviously that affair had to have started while they were still married. No, right?
0: I, I get it. Yeah. But, like, for fuck's sake.
1: I know. So John's <laughs> like, well, yeah, no, we, we were dating for a long time. <laughs> And also, she offered me $1,000 to kill her husband.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of a giveaway. And the
1: prosecution's like, Haha, bitch, we got you now. They thought that John was their golden ticket in proving Sharon's guilt. But John proved them wrong real quick. On the stand, he literally told the court that Sharon's murder proposition might have also just been a joke. <laughs> I cannot with this guy.
0: He knows. Is this intentional?
1: No, he's just dumb as rocks. Um. He knows, like, when she finds the body and he's like, I think that's just a pile of clothes. In the place that she suggested they go to, he already knows that this bitch is up to something. And then she gets arrested and charged for two murders. And he's like, well, the guy died and she did offer me $1,000 to pay him or to kill him. He knows. He just is. Maybe he's just really nice. Because he's like, well... I guess she could have been joking. And the prosecution is just like, are you freaking kidding me? They're like beside themselves that this guy just said that (laughs) while on the stand. They're like, holy shit, this is not what we practiced, John. Get your shit together, John. So with that, the state had to try extra hard to paint the picture of a woman who was just so over her husband. Clearly enough to be carrying on an extramarital affair. And she just had enough. And a lot of people really did believe that this was the truth and the motive behind James' murder. Apparently, leading up to his death, James had told friends that he wanted out because he was pretty damn sure that Sharon was cheating on him. Oh, my God. Which, yeah, of course, she definitely was. The prosecution loved bringing up Sharon's adultery, too, and her infidelity and all that stuff, basically making sure everyone knew she was a two-timing, no-good wife, which in the 60s, Was literally the worst thing you could be, as you can imagine.
0: Like she actually was a no good, two timing, yeah. Like
1: in the sixties, you're like, she must be capable of murder because look what type of wife she was. No,
0: I agree, but like she actually was Mm -hmm. a bad wife.
1: So besides painting uh, Sharon as a horrible wife, which yes, obviously she was. The prosecution knew what they were doing, right? They were like, look, she is, she's not a good woman. She's not a good wife. She doesn't keep house very well. And they also pointed to the life insurance policy, which to them a, was motive. Yeah, I mean, that is a good... Especially since she bought a friggin' convertible with it, right? All right, so it was now up to Sharon's defense attorneys to prove reasonable doubt. They, of course, made it known that Dana played with the family's guns often and that she had a great shot. And they reminded the jury that James's death, like I said, had been ruled as accidental in the first place. They also shamed the prosecution for focusing on Sharon's morality. How unfeminist of you, prosecution. Shame on you. Basically, this case was already solved, according to her defense attorneys. The authority said it was accidental. So, yeah. like, why, what, why are we even here?
0: No, yeah, I mean, I think that's...
1: It's a good defense. As a Mm
0: defense. Defense. As a defense, Mm -hmm. that's a good defense. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I agree 100%. But ultimately, it would be up to the jury. After five and a half hours of deliberation, the jury returned with their decision. Sharon Kinney was found guilty of the murder of James Kinney. Whoa. And she was sentenced to life in prison. Even after the guilty verdict, James Kinney's family told reporters, quote, We still don't feel she committed murder. Kenny simply told the reporters that the jury made a really big mistake. So she has everyone surrounding and supporting her, including (laughs) James's family, right? And the community quickly rallied behind her as well. And just imagine, like, you're Sharon, you're convicted of first-degree murder, and people are still like, nope, we will not have this verdict. So a petition... Was quickly supported by hundreds of people, and Kinney's lawyers used this petition to request that Sharon be released on bond. The judge was like, "I don't care about your stupid ass petition. Yeah. <laughs> She's just been convicted of first degree murder. You can't, you can't be released on bond. That's not a thing. What, are, what the hell are you doing? Get the <laughs> hell out of my courtroom, right? Like, actually, sounds insane." But they were basically like, look, everyone wants her out. And the judge was like, too bad. Get the hell out of here. But Kenny's lawyers were like, all right, well, let's just uh, find some more things to find wrong with the trial, obviously. Because they, clearly, if you're a defense attorney and you can see the amount of support, you're like, "Mm, maybe we should try harder for this. Well,
0: yeah. And also, if you're still being paid, then you're still going to try and do your job. It's actually like, that's. That's what a defense attorney Mm -hmm. should be.
1: So then they petitioned the court to reverse Sharon's conviction due to the fact that the jury had reached their verdict solely on speculation rather than actual evidence, which, I mean, they obviously had probably a lot more to back that up because she and her trial and the case had become so well known. Right. Again, the judge was like, please leave me (laughs) alone. And again, Kenny's lawyers refused to give up, so they took it to the Missouri Supreme Court and brought up a bunch of other issues. And voila! In March of 1963, the Supreme Court of Missouri reversed the conviction and granted Sharon a brand new trial, stating that her defense had not been able to properly select jury members as it was expected and allowed by law.
0: Okay, question. Mm -hmm. Was she having sex with someone on the Supreme Court?
1: I mean, that never comes up, <laughs> but I guess there was like a crazy weird thing. There's a thing in the in jury selection. It's like there's a term for it, but it basically means that when you are selecting jury members, if you don't feel like you want that jury member, you're supposed to be given al- alternative options.
0: Yeah. Ryan has been held as an alternate before for a case right? Mm -hmm. where they're like oh you're supposed to do jury duty and they don't select you but they're like but you're on call because Mm -hmm. we might kick some of these people out that we don't think are going to work
1: exactly and the defense is basically like we weren't given that option and that actually is against the law Yeah. so the Supreme Court said that yeah no she can get a brand new trial because as like as stated by the law of the United States of America in the judicial system you are supposed to have adequate jury members to fill your jury pool. you're gonna
0: do it, do it right.
1: Yeah, so that's exactly what they said. And with a new trial granted, Sharon was like, all right, cool, so get me bail and get me the hell out of here. And the court was like, bitch, you just got a new trial. Stop asking for more shit. And they were like, no bail for you. But again, because Sharon is Sharon, apparently... That was also overturned, and in July of 1963, Sharon was released on bail. The state was pissed, obviously. They asked the Supreme Court to seriously reconsider allowing Sharon a new trial. When the Supreme Court decided to review the entire decision again, they found even more reason (laughs) (laughs) to grant Sharon a new trial. (laughs) And so the prosecution was like, ah, "Okay, well, <laughs> well, all right then." So
0: essentially, it's a mistrial because of like fundamental errors that were not conducted in the mm-hmm. case, like but in in the pro in the process yes. of the trial.
1: Yes. And I mean, yes, this bitch is crazy, but it's it's the system. If we didn't have these checks and balances in our law system we would have even more wrongfully convicted murderers than we already do. And it's clearly an issue in this country. There are so many people wrongfully convicted of murder. And I was listening to a criminal episode the other day, and she was asking him, like, are you angry? Are you angry? You spent 23 years in prison. Are you angry? And he's like, no, I can't be angry because a jury of my peers, like 12 people of my peers, found me guilty. And that is the system. So I can be angry at the system, but I can't be angry at people. But I'm not even angry at the system. I'm just so much more determined to fix the system yeah. like or be an advocate. And he was like, there are people I was in jail with that are 100% no, I, innocent. Yeah. And when you hear that, it like breaks your heart because you know that that's true. So I am grateful for these things where the Supreme Court's able, even in such a high-profile case, this woman has been tried for two murders. Everybody knows this bitch is guilty. She blamed it on her two-year-old kid. She's a horrible person. And the Supreme Court is still like, well, according to the law, they should have been allowed these things, and they weren't. You're the prosecution. The it's the your, burden yeah. of guilt, Uh, right? right? It it falls on you, so do it right. You have one shot at this and you effed it up.
0: Well, they have two shots.
1: Yeah, but I mean in this case they they were supposed to do it right. And you think that they would make sure especially since she was acquitted in the first murder, that they would make sure that they did not leave anything to be questioned in this trial, and they did.
0: Is there a prosecutor that's like, oh wait, we didn't give alternates, but this jury's amazing for us, so like are we going to tell them all You know what I mean? Like, yeah,
1: we don't... I mean, there's no way to say if these things weren't done on purpose, but the fact that the Supreme Court, after their review, were like, well, you know what? Now that we're looking at this trial, there were a lot of questionable things that you as the prosecution did. And it might just be because the prosecution was so determined to get this bitch behind bars because they were so angry that she had been acquitted in the first trial. Yeah, I just
0: also wonder if something gets bumped all the way up to the Supreme Court and they look at any case... Maybe there's errors in all cases. That's kind of what I'm saying. I don't know the difference between, like, can people like, is it so complicated that it's actually really hard to just run a case exactly by the book? Or were they just really, like, on one?
1: It, like, reeks of white privilege.
0: Right? Oh, yeah. Because
1: the fact that her defense attorneys were like, listen, we know she was convicted of murder, but, like, look at this petition. That would never happen for a black person.
0: Yeah. Also, like, I'm curious to see what you think. Like, do you think that everyone was more lenient on her because she was also a woman? So not only was she white, she was also like a hot woman.
1: Well, yeah, because I also think that the idea of women back then was a lot different, right? Women were, they were innocent. They were housewives. They kept house. She had children. She had to delay her trials because she was pregnant. It's it's everything. It's this hot celebrity. I think absolutely that worked in her favor.
0: Now I'm picturing like Marilyn Monroe. No, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not like
1: that. She's not like, when you look at her, you're not like, oh my God, what a bombshell. But in comparison to most women in an old-timey setting, she's very pretty.
0: Old-timey. The 60s are old-timey. He I was born in the 70s.
1: You're old as fuck. <laughs> fuck off. <all. laughs> And while Sharon awaited her new trial, she moved into her mother's house with her kids. Her second trial for the murder of James Kinney would not get underway until the following year in 1964. Before justice could ever be served for James Kinney, Sharon would flee the country. Oh. Another man would lose his life, and today, nobody has a single clue where Sharon Kinney is.
0: Oh my god, this is tight.
1: Well, I know you have a lot of questions, but you're just going to have to wait because there's a lot more to this story. And Sharon Kinney is a crazy bitch. (laughs) All right. (laughs) It's crazy. And to think at this point, by 1964, she's like 24 years old. All right. So before we um, get out of here knowing that there's more to the story, obviously, and you'll all come back to listen to the conclusion. Let's just go through some of that really dope 1950s slang
0: is that it, I uh Is this, real, this is real slang, this or is, is it more of the slang. stuff that you just made up?
1: No, I didn't make any of that up. Mm. It was real slang, all right? Mm. Let's see how old you really are, okay, babe? <laughs> <laughs> what is a beatnik? Hmm.
0: It's like a, like a cross between a hippie and a bum.
1: All right. A young person who's into the beat lifestyle, music, drugs, and booze, <laughs> <Right>. etc. <cetera. laughs> backseat bingo. Told you it was real. Not, Making out in the backseat of a car. It's not real. What do I mean if I say you're bashing my ears? Talking to you too much? Yes. Yeah. You're talking too much. What do I, what do I mean if I say we're circled?
0: <laughs> we're, we're together we're a couple
1: we're married yeah there you go you know this one a dream boat yeah yeah that's yeah. you baby you're a dream boat so this is one that i feel like came back if you say a woman is stacked we use that
0: she got giant boobies yes Hell yeah. a woman
1: with ample bosom
0: buxom, a buxom lady.
1: Yeah. And then also a, a term that became popular in the fifties was square, like calling someone a square.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And
1: also a party pooper that was also coined in the fifties. <laughs> okay. But
0: no one says party pooper now.
1: <laughs> I mean, like you say it as a joke now, right? Super Murgatroyd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, wait, what?
1: <laughs> I saw that one on multiple sites.
0: Super Murgatroyd? Yeah. Or Murgatroyd?
1: Murgatroyd. I'm like, dude, that is so. Okay, super so I need to. Droid. I need to break
0: this down. So, like, forget the super because that mm-hmm. just means like an extra. So, a Murgatroyd. Yeah, literally no idea.
1: It means cool. No, or it or, or I love this. Or with it.
0: Oh, it's crazy that that didn't catch on. With
1: it, <laughs> also is very retro. Are you, yeah.
0: Are you gonna start using that? Super
1: Murgatroyd. Yeah. I've actually thought about starting to use that one because I think it's so just ridiculous. Use it on
0: Clever. This outfit is Super Murgatroyd. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <It's> so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, sorry. I can't. Uh, this weekend, I'm baking a biscuit.
0: <laughs> what? You're taking a shit? <laughs> no. You're just busy. I don't know. Like.
1: <laughs> it means I'm I'm making a record album. <laughs> it's so lame and so dumb
0: your example was also very misleading what are you talking about oh I can't do this this weekend I'm making a record nobody says that I mean I could do that nobody
1: says (laughs) oh hey do you want to come
0: to the bar I can't this weekend I'm making a record you know what I mean
1: I can't I'm busy I'm busy like dropping hits making records
0: dropping hits also sounds like taking a dub
1: yeah can what can
0: like I can do it like the can oh a toilet
1: yes in the 1940s, the can meant something different. Do you want to know what it was?
0: You would shit in a tin can. No, no, no.
1: The can. Like, the can was Oh, blood. jail. Yes! Yeah. God, you are old.
0: I'm just... I have a way better vocabulary In the 70s and 80s, in the the 70s, 80s,
1: this was still, like... This is still, like, common speak.
0: No, I just have a better vocabulary.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah.
1: How about... Man, that's a gangbuster. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And that's awesome. Oh Yeah,
1: that was like really successful. <laughs> that's what that means. Yeah, I
0: mean people still say going gangbusters.
1: gang buses. No one says that. Yeah, you do! Oh my god, how about this? Come on, snake, let's rattle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh show me your penis. <laughs> I still think it's do you want to touch my penis? Do you want to touch my penis?
1: No, one word. Do you wanna dance? <laughs> Duh.
0: Yeah, sure. The same thing, that's the same if thing. If a guy
1: walked up and was like, come on, snake. Let's rattle. I like, get the how about a wig chop.
0: You're getting your haircut.
1: Yes. Oh my god, you're so old.
0: I've never heard that before, but it yeah, makes right.
1: sense. Mm okay. <laughs> Cut the gas. Simmer down. Yes.
0: Yeah. Old. Fuck <laughs>
1: god. A classy chassis.
0: One, that means like a really good looking car But two, that pro- for a woman That probably means like she's hot Like she's got a good body
1: Old No, that's just I'm,
0: <laughs> I'm not even old I've never heard these things before But it's easy to figure them out
1: Okay, alright, sure If you're not
0: a Doofus Magoofus <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's not the 50s, alright That's just weird shit That you're, you're saying right now <laughs> Okay, last one Man, you got all chrome plated.
0: Oh, you're, like, styling, dude. You're, like, iced
1: out. Oh, you are so... (laughs) It's all right, babe. I still think you're the bee's knees. (laughs) Daddy-o. Don't say that to me, unless you're cruising for a bruising. Oh, my God. Stop.
0: (laughs) I'm not even going to engage in this.
1: You know what, Rattlesnake? Let's (laughs) let's rattle. (laughs) Whatever it is. Alright, you guys. Well, that was fun. I had a good time going over all the slang terms that Nil still remembers from his childhood. We will be back. Um, I think we can maybe knock this out. We don't have to wait a whole week. So, please, review, rate the show, and subscribe if you haven't done that. And in the show notes, there is a link to support the show. We are working towards a Patreon and getting some video content out, so anything really, really does help. And, uh, yeah, we will be back in a few days. And, I honestly, I can't wait to tell you about it because shit gets wild. So, thanks so much for listening, you guys. You're all the bee's knees to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I find you all super radioactive. So, I'll catch you on the flip side, motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> one said motherfuckers in the 50s.
1: <laughs> all right. Bye. See you. Thank you for listening to Believe.